hope the future generations can get this urge stay woke young and, and avenge these nerds uh. welcome back to another episode of nerds of the rounds guys it's your host sebastian it's your boy law anybody tone from across the hall we got a great career series. Plus, we also are doing a little bit of a Kickstarter party. We want to bring in the founder of Crowd Wrangler Studios and the creator behind Major Holmes and Captain Watson, Jeff Ryder. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, what's up? Thanks for coming on. Yeah, stoked. So, Jeff, um, let our viewers know who you are, our listeners, um, how you got Give involved. Give us the origin comedy. story. Yes. yes. Oh, Your God, my origin, origin story? story. <laughs> that's, a, that's, from listen, a, that's always our first, like, big I question. come from a galaxy far, far away. No. <laughs> nice. um, yeah. Uh, so my name is Jeff Ryder, and I am a comic book writer now, which is pretty cool. Um, I started writing you say comics. That as if you weren't always a comic book writer. I wasn't, honestly. Um, I, I majored in creative writing in school way back in the day. I've been a storyteller since I could speak, pretty mm-hmm. much. Um, but I spent a lot of years doing other things. I loved uh, comics okay. growing up, and I read comics since I could read books. And uh, back, I think Larry Hama's G.I. Joe series was like my Ooh. first steal it from the, com- from the grocery store comic book, like way back in the 80s. Uh, makes me old and um, <laughs> date myself there a little bit. But uh, yeah, I, I, I have tried writing novels and I mean, I have written novels and I've written a lot of other things and I've had some different jobs and uh, maybe seven or eight years ago, maybe a little more than that. Um, I was kind of struggling with what I wanted to do with my life creatively, professionally, and, and the kind of things that I wanted to be writing. I wasn't writing things I was happy with. And my wife's first, she doesn't remember this, but she said to me one day, why don't you write comic books? You're the biggest dork that I know. And I was like, <laughs> why don't I write comic books? That's a really good idea. I read comic books. My closet is filling up corner. with comic books. Why, why haven't I ever tried this? And I think it was, there was a degree to which I was a little afraid to get into like a medium that I didn't know what the underbelly looked like. Right. Like I could tell a story. That's not a big deal, but making things and writing scripts and writing comics is a skill set that I didn't have, that I didn't know anything about. Um, beyond having read them my whole life. Like I, I never, I wasn't one of those kids who grew up making his own comics over and over and over again. I just, it just, it wasn't my thing. It was sort of too insular, I think. And then as I got older, I got into playing music and was in bands and I figured out that I like collaborative stuff, waking things with other people. But when I was writing, I was writing by myself and writing in a hole. And like I said, it was sort of stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got into like, like, I was like, okay, cool. How do let's figure out how do you make comics? What's, what's involved in making comics? What is scripting like? And what is, what are the rules and what kind of processes do you have to follow and all that stuff? Uh, because I known some folks that have some friends who like do some screenwriting and who work in film and television and, and different things. And those rules are very strict and very specific, right? Writing screenplays is this very polished thing and writing for television is this very format based sort of deal and so i was a little nervous and then i got into comics and found out there are no rules <laughs> like you can <laughs> do whatever you want and i was like oh 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 i can do any okay i'm in i gotta try this i gotta figure it out um and so i started doing some comics journalism for a little while i wrote uh reviews like a lot of people do getting started i wrote for a site uh that looked at comics and pop culture through the lens of like issues around social inclusion and stuff Okay. So I was doing a weekly series of reviewing books like crazy and, and that kind of thing. And that let me go to some cons on the press pass for free. So I started going to some cons on the West Coast where I was living at the time. And uh, to kind of peek under the hood because you never know, like maybe the industry's gross and maybe you don't want to be part of it. <laughs> and 
I know. <laughs> and I got there and I realized like I hadn't been to a Comic-Con since I was a kid. And I, I went to my first show and like two, again in like 2010, I think. And I was like, again, whoa, like what have I been doing with my life? Why was I not here all of this time? These are my people. This is my, oh my God. And it kind of jump-started in my whole life. Like I kind of got back into uh, uh, t- doing the kind of story time that I was crazy about and not kind of the stuff I, I thought I should be doing, but the kind of stuff I really wanted to do. And it kind of steamrolled from there. I started making short comics and I started meeting artists at cons and uh, just saying, hey, who wants to take this crazy idea of mine and make it into a thing and learning how to collaborate with artists and ask them what they're into drawing and match my stuff to their style. and and one thing led to another. And now I'm writing a couple different series, making an anthology and being a part of all kinds of stuff. I like that you mentioned collaborative because um, again, you and I met at Creative Aftercon, big networking event and all that. Um, been good friends since, um, you know, I'm a pain in the butt to you all the time. So yeah. <laughs> to be but, fair, you're a pain in the butt to all of us. Yes, yes, I am. But I'm a good pain in the butt, but like, Speaking of collaborations, again, let's get into the Major Holmes and Captain Watson series. So looking at this, you've already had a successful Kickstarter for issue one and two, yes. and you have a great collaborative team um, with you, which is um, Ishmael Canales, who is the artist, Roger um, Soroka, who's the colorist, and Justin Birch, who's also the learner. How did you assemble this team together to work on the series? And again, what was that like, that process for you? It's a, speaking of long stories, man, you guys are going to get me going tonight. Um, It's fun because uh, Major Holmes was a thing I wanted to do since I was really young. I grew up reading Sherlock Holmes. My grandmother used to give me, uh, uh, my grandmother was a librarian and she used to give me like adventure fiction for my birthday. Uh, Treasure Island and uh, Three Musketeers and and Sherlock Holmes. Like my original Sherlock Holmes copies are copies my grandmother gave me. Okay. Um, so I've wanted to do something in that world for a long, long time. When I got into comics and when Sherlock Holmes suddenly became public domain, I started talking to these various artists at shows, trying to find somebody who was into it. And I met an artist who done a lot of graphic noir detective-y kind of stuff. Uh, this guy named Michael Dorman out on the West Coast. And he looked at it and he's like, man, this sounds like a really cool idea. I don't want to do this. And I was <laughs> like, oh, man. And he's like, no, I've got tons and tons of that in my portfolio. We should do something different but let me introduce you to a friend of mine. So, okay, cool. He introduced me to an artist named Carlos Caballero. Carlos and I did a webcomic version of Major Holmes in 2012 or 13. Um, and we tried to run it on Patreon and didn't kind of go very well. Um, but he, I can't tell a story without talking about Carlos because he did all the original character designs. He decided mm-hmm. how the guys were going to look and what was going to happen. And then he ended up doing some different things and he, he draws Star Wars cards for tops now and does some really, really awesome stuff. But he's not doing sequential book things as far as I know anymore. And I decided I didn't want to do it as a digital. I wanted to make it a full on print book, like really just go bonkers with it. Um, so I cobbled together the stuff that we had and made kind of a floppy to show off to people. And I went to New York Comic Con and I was walking around and I met a guy in Artist Alley who recommended an agency to me called Bucido. And there, now I'm going to be terrible because I don't remember the name of the guy who runs the agency. He's <laughs> great. Um, the, the, the owner of the Bootsito agency is really awesome. And I reached out to him and he said, you know, I've got a stable of guys that work for me all over the world. Um, what are you interested? What's your style like? What's your story about? And so I gave him the breakdown on Major Holmes and Captain Watson, how it's about 
Sherlock Holmes's nephew, who's a spy during World War One. It's very period centric. It's very realistic. It's not steampunk. It's it's historical fiction, just about. And so I wanted somebody who's tight on the realism and could really nail some of the details. And um, he pointed me at two or three guys, and Ishmael Canales was one of them. When I got into looking at his portfolio, he did a book called Athena Voltaire at Action Lab, which is kind of this Lady Indiana Jones thing, which is really, really cool. It's written by a guy named Steve Bryant. And I started reading that. I was like, this is kind of the jam I'm going for with a little less monsters and a little more realism. And so I reached out to Ishmael and said, hey, man, your agent hooked me up. What do you think about this story? And he read it and he was like, when can we start? How do we get this done? This is awesome. I totally want to do this because he had come off Athena Voltaire and was working on like a superhero thing. And he wanted to like juxtapose that stuff that he was doing together. Um, He knew the colorist. He and Roger are a team. They do a lot of stuff together. Roger also worked on the Athena Voltaire book and they're both in Spain. And so they got cranking on uh, essentially taking the webcomic that we had done and the script from the originals and reworking it and creating a new version of the same story, basically. So the issue one that was available in the first Kickstarter is very similar to what used to be in the webcomic. Some of the dialogue has changed because the art was different and some of the shots are different. They didn't recreate the old thing shot for shot. They drew their own stuff and it's very natural. But they based it on Carlos's original character and so every issue of Major Holmes still has Carlos's name in it as our, as our character designer because he contributed a ton. Okay. But they just sort of took it and made it into this great big badass world. And <laughs> those guys are so much fun to work with, like creatively. Like we have these conversations about light sources every time. Roger is nuts for like the period lighting and like let's have a whole fight scene <laughs> that only happens by the headlight of old Model T trucks and the gunfire because there's no overhead lighting in London in 1914. So we have to find ways to get real. <laughs> and, like, and he's like, let's do a whole thing on the rooftops where it'll all be gray and smoky and gross. And I was like, okay, I was going <laughs> to, but you want to be outside? We'll write the thing outside. That sounds great because those guys are so jazzed about let's put this physical element or let's do these specific motorcycles or these kind of weapons or whatever. And um, like the things they want to draw that they're stoked about inform the story. And so fun things are from the story that even I hadn't thought about necessarily at the beginning because these guys are having a good time and really want to draw this stuff. So. I think that does explain a lot. The attention to, the to detail is like so there. You guys have yeah. a lot of it from the writing it, to the to the art. It's you can tell that you guys took your time with it. It is research intensive. It's more than I thought I was ever getting myself into <laughs> because with Sherlock Holmes and anything that's a Sherlock Holmes spinoff, which is really what we are. There's a fan base for that stuff, and they are specific. And yeah. people that are into mysteries and detective fiction are always looking for the clues. They're always trying to figure out the ending. And if you don't layer in those details for them, you're not doing a very good job in that, that specific mystery kind of storytelling. They'll also eat you alive if you get it wrong. <laughs> so you have to be really, really detail-oriented. Then we folded in this whole historical fiction and political intrigue of the, the period that we're in thing. And that's a whole other level of research that you have to get right. And, and because that particular fan base can be a little nitpicky, if the trucks look a little bit wrong or the neighborhoods look a little bit wrong, you know, they're going to call you out on it. And we want to be as sweet as we can. I think Ishmael found photos of the actual neighborhood in London that I just plucked the name off of a map and decided they were close enough together oh, that it would work. Wow. And found wow. period photos of like what the buildings in that neighborhood looked like before he started drawing the building that blew up and issue <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean awesome. he's into it. Every time I get pages from him, there's a little document hidden in the uh in the Dropbox folder 
and I open it up and it's just loads and loads and loads of period photos of the interiors of pubs in London or streets, uh, you know, in the, in the teens and twenties in London and uh, images of trucks and, and cars. And, and I send him photos of handguns that I think would be cool to look at and, and whatever. And um, yeah, it, it, it's a ton of detail and it was way more reading than I ever thought I was getting myself into. When I started <laughs> doing the Have you guys run into like those fans that are just like, either on the one hand they're either oh you, you you missed this one detail or on the other side you get praised for like the detail that you did actually catch thankfully so far i've gotten the latter lots of people have yeah. said hey man that's really cool or hey this is really cool i met a uh, a guy who picked up a book at a show in atlanta who was a vendor at the show and um he came by and he bought it and 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 he was slipping through it and then he came back later and it turns out what he does is he makes some of the replica weapons that cosplayers use and what have you. Okay. Um, but he, but he uses, he makes like the really heavy weighted, like metal weapons. He makes a lot of steampunky stuff and they're like operating or they look close to that or whatever. They're not mm. like the red plastic things. And he came by and he was like, man, I can't believe you used the Beaumont Adams revolver from blah, 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 blah. It's a very specific English thing. And I was like, yes, I know. In fact, it means the reason that Samuel Colt couldn't sell the Colt Peacemaker in London because this, this gun, like, and I had done the research on it and he knew what the gun was from looking at the drawing. And he's like, if you want me to make you some replicas, I can. And I was like, that'd be <laughs> so cool. Awesome. And then I lost the guy's cool. business card and I've never seen him again. Um, I'm hoping to run into him at a show one day. Um, the the wrong details that the Sherlock lovers are going to catch. I know they're coming because you just can't, you can't ever get everything. Yeah. We were supposed to, so this is where we get pandemic sad. Um, we were supposed to do our first Sherlock Holmes centric convention this year. I didn't even know these were a thing until someone from something called 221B Con reached out to me and said, Hey, do you want to be part That's of that show? Awesome. And I was like, yeah, I want to be part of that show. Get out of my way. I'm going to knock you down to be part of the show. Um, it was supposed to happen in Atlanta in April, like just as the world was really getting flushed down the toilet. Oh, yeah. And it was the, it was the first of my con appearances that got canceled last year. And uh, it looks like they're not going to be able to get it even back around this year. Um, because April is going to be a little too soon. Yeah. They yeah. have a specific slot in April every year. And there's a West coast version of this. that's put on by somebody else that they don't want to go up against. Um, there's also a left coast Sherlock con that happens in, I want to say Portland in September, October. So we're hoping to do that one. And that's where I'm sure the Sherlock Holmes nerds are going to come and just eat me. They're going to eat you live. <laughs> they're going to be like, Nope, you've got that wrong. And, and how can this be? And blah. <laughs> and we're going to try to say, well, those are clues for the next story. <laughs> and then have to go figure out how those are clues for the next story. For the, you know, so you, you, this being a Sherlock after, after the last set of books of Sherlock is essentially everything that was written considered canon and backstory for your, for yes. your. We attempted to not only put our story in the historical context of World War I and what was going on in Europe at the time, but also in Conan Doyle's canon. Um, Sherlock Holmes does not appear as a character in our story, and there are legal issues that you have to be careful with that. Um, but Mycroft Holmes does. Um, there are some very small, minor Holmes characters that we're going to drag in one by one. But mostly we wanted to make complete original characters. I wanted to do... My dream of it from the very beginning was that it's, it's Sherlock Holmes meets James Bond. It's a little bit detective and a little bit espionage, and it blends some of these uh, British heroes together into this one big thing. Um, 
So we wanted to create a new Holmes and a new Watson, and we wanted to figure out ways to make them completely original and completely unique. So while they exist in Doyle's world and, and all of Doyle's facts are our facts, you don't have to have read everything that Sherlock Holmes ever did to follow the story. You don't have to totally know what's going on. If you're vaguely familiar with Sherlock Holmes, you'll get most of it. I mean, people know who Holmes and Watson are, so it's not a big deal. Yeah. No, you definitely hit the hit that mark with Sheffield. Sheffield is completely different from what we're used to in seeing Sherlock. And you, you know, saying that whole James Bond aspect to it, that that brash, young, hot shot, you you get that uh, from him, especially in some of those some of those scenes where he's just overly confident. And they're, and they're like, mm-hmm. what's what's going on with this guy? Yeah. <laughs> is he so overly confident? Just make it up. I'll figure it out what you mean. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> there's a there's a yeah, that's a fun scene. There's a, a rooftop sniper battle. And they're making up codes yes. on the fly. And he's like, wait a minute. What do you mean make it up on the fly? And he's like, don't worry about it. I'm smart. I'll figure it out. And <laughs> it's one of the underlying themes of the book that was actually really important to me. I like all of the various Sherlock pastiches that are out there. I think the BBC series and Cumberbatch is great. Um, I enjoyed Elementary, the one that they did on American TV. I've seen some others. But there's an underlying theme in a lot of those stories that the brilliant detective is also broken. That because he's such a genius he's also totally screwed up. And there's a degree of anti-intellectualism in that that really rankles me. There's no reason that someone who's brilliant has to be an asshole. This is a R-rated pod, right? I can say that. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, like it doesn't, he doesn't necessarily have to be a dick just because he's smart. He can be super confident and very aware of his own abilities and still be relatively nice to people. I mean, he's still going to be brash and he's still going to be arrogant. He's a young hothead or whatever. Um, but we wanted our detective, our homes to be different than the homes that people understand. We really wanted to create something original and we wanted to celebrate him for being smart. The other dynamic that was really important to us was I wanted the Holmes and Watson that were equals. If there's a single thing in the original canon that bugs me, it's that Watson follows Holmes around like a lap dog yeah. and just, Oh, Holmes is so great. And Holmes is X and Holmes is Y. The function of the way novels worked at the time that that was written was that's how things got written. People didn't fully have an understanding at the time that somebody would tell someone else's story from afar, whatever. There had to be a reason. A lot of novels are written as series of letters or communications back and forth. And so the, the character of Watson sort of functions to tell you why Sherlock Holmes is walking around and doing all this stuff. He's basically the narrator. But it also makes him a little bit of a fanboy in his own story and where he's just constantly talking about how great Holmes is. And we decided, or I decided in particular, and then, and then Ishmael and the guys really were serious about it, we wanted our Watson to be Holmes' equal in every way that we could think of, and sometimes even better than him at certain things. Um, you know, We wanted them to be partners. We wanted them to be friends. We wanted them to have intrigue back and forth because they're both spies, so they trust each other to a point because they're spies. Um, and so we took, a, we took our Watson and we made him, made him just as smart, just as deductive, maybe even a little more aggressive and violent. Like she's not afraid to whip out her guns. And she's American and Mar- yes. we're Americans. We love yeah. our guns. Um, <laughs> I get to layer in my American anti-gun uh, beliefs into, into a story that's full of spies and soldiers and whatever. Um, but, uh, and, and, and it led well, to a- brings it up and makes it a point to point out how American she is every chance he gets. Oh yeah. 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 He's never going to let her live it down. And, <laughs> If it was a TV show or something else, you would hear the accents and she'd be the only one who was using the American accent. So you would know if he doesn't point it out periodically in a comic book, you're not going to pick it up. If I said it at the beginning and then you didn't read it in issue two or issue three, you might miss it. Um, mm. I, you know, we refer to her in the promo as his mysterious American partner 
over and over and over again because we want everybody to understand. As we start revealing more about each character's backstory through the different series that we're trying to, that we're hopefully going to be able to pull off, you'll learn why she's specifically American and how she's connected to the American intelligence services and the, and the Holmes family. There are some secrets of that already in here that you might need to know some Sherlock canon, but we're going to get around to all of that eventually. The Nerds of the Round is brought to you by Enbeyond. Make sure to use the code GETNERDYWITH IT to get 10% off merchandise and services such as web hosting, printing, and more at nbeyond.com. I do like, though, in the first issue, though, how you establish their relationship as friends and all that, like you say, and um, how this is definitely a different Holmes that you already set that on the beginning. But I want to touch up on another character who, um, you know, I like that because you have the inspector trope in Sherlock Holmes. The inspector is there. He's always this guy. But you went a little further with this guy. In issue two, this guy is like, we were talking about, it. he's like a tank. What led to the creation of Aganina? <laughs> awesome. He jumps out that car and he's got that like that, that pose. I was like, <laughs> a whole one about every <laughs> other inspector who was just like fumbling or just like, yeah. you know, not as confident, competent, you know, this Spartan looking dude with this thick beard, like, you yeah. know. <laughs> so um a lot of that comes from our original artist, Carlos. Um when I wrote the original 12, I think the, I think the first digital short was like a 12 page thing. Um, the detective inspector that our Holmes was going to deal with, uh, his last name is Brick. And at the time I didn't know if he had a first name. I didn't know anything about him. He was just a big dude. And Holmes was going to have fun with the idea that a big dude would be named Brick. Um, and it was just a chance for him to be funny and witty and have a little wordplay, do a little back and forth with the detective the way the previous Holmes always did. There was a Detective Lestrade is the most common uh, one, but there are a couple others in the canon. And Holmes largely looks down on them, in the original Sherlock Holmes. He looks down on them. He doesn't think they're particularly smart. He doesn't think they're particularly good at his job. What would they need him for if they knew what the heck they were doing, right? Um, when Sheffield meets him, there's a little bit of that vibe. But as they start investigating things, he's like, oh, no, 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 you know, we're all just doing our jobs here. And he's, he's kind of cool to the guy. But he's really amused that the guy's name is Brick. He thinks it's really funny. Um, and he was just supposed to be wordplay humor. It's just supposed to be kind of a one-off funny thing. And then the next issue would have a, maybe a different detective with a different name and who knows. And um, Carlos and I wrote the thing. At the time, I was living in San Francisco and he was living in Florida. And we did all our communications over email. But my wife's family are from Orlando. And he lives in a town called Sanford, which is just north of Orlando. And so when we went home to visit, I called him up and said, hey, man, I'm going to be in town. You want to get together and have a beer and talk about the book and like hang out? And he was like, yeah, that'd be great. Come over to my studio and we'll we'll talk about where we're going from here and whatever. And so I came by and we met in person, which was really cool after trading a lot of emails. And I said, okay, so like we did the first one and it was pretty much, I just sent you the script and you drew it. If we're going to keep going, what from the first one did you enjoy drawing? What was your favorite thing? If there was something cool you wanted to put in the next one, like what would you be super stoked about to want to do? Because you always got to keep the artist like coming back for more, right? They, there's fewer of them than there are of us. Like they're the pretty girl at the dance and you gotta, gotta keep them happy. So I said, Carlos, you know, what do you want to draw? And without a blink in an eye, he's like, Brick, I want more Brick. Let's put more Brick in the book. Brick is cool. And I was like, Brick is cool. He's like, what's Brick's deal? And I was like, hmm. Well, it turns out Detective Inspector Agamemnon J. Brick has a secret in his past as well. And like, I just pulled that name out of my butt. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so Carlos said, let's draw more Brick. Um, but I mean, that's like, that was inspiration. Like he poked me a little and my brain went off and Agamemnon J. Brick is maybe the coolest name I've ever created for anybody ever. Um, he's, 
and and he ended up feeding this underlying theme in the book that everyone in the story has secrets in their past and their identity that are dangerous to them. So not only are they detectives and spies and soldiers, they're protecting something about themselves that could get them into trouble. Um, it was one of the ways we differentiated Sheffield Sherlock in that Sheffield Holmes is a gay man in 1914, which is wildly illegal and very, very dangerous. Uh, Captain Watson, Imogen Watson is American. She's clearly not related to the original Watson. So what is her secret and why, what is she protecting and why is she taking that name? That has an effect on, on the underlying and the things that she does. And, and so with Brick, we decided that was a thing as well. Brick has a secret in his identity that's dangerous. And each issue is led with a flashback to sort of hint at each character's underlying secret. So issue three, you're going to see on page one, Brick's backstory and what's going on with him, what what he's trying to hide for everybody and what he has to keep a secret for a little while. And it, it slowly turned the book from a two-man thing into like a team book. Like we're building a little bit of a, a Holmes Avengers kind of thing. Um, you, you hit it very well where you had the 007 vibe, where you had, you know, 00, now you're getting Q, now you're getting, you're getting yep. the, the, the whole team and like you're just like, oh, you have a money penny, you have a this. And I was like, I dig this. There's there's definitely some influences of that as well, yeah. And and plus it gives us a chance to draw this great big burly looking badass guy gets to beat the hell out of you. Like <laughs> yeah. Sher Sherlock's gonna figure you out. He's a sniper and he's super smart. Imogen's aggressive and she's gonna whip out a gun and whatever. But if you need a door kicked in, if you need something broken over somebody's head, you need them was like, what took you guys take, so long? Or, they, or ruined my they ruined my <laughs> truck. And I was he's like, a dude. Brick is a dude of a dude. Yeah, like, he he is. Is. Takes, a, takes a shot in the, in the shoulder. That's eh, a flesh wound. Like, no, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this dude's awesome. <laughs> Brick's fun. Brick is a ton of fun. Yeah. I think Loki might be our favorite character. I, I keep getting that. I'm a little worried we're going to have to do Brick spinoffs before we're done. <laughs> I mean, um, I wouldn't I mean, be mad you know, at it. <laughs> I, I mean, I, obviously, you know, you know, you you wrote them really dope, but are you know, kudos to the artists because like they've really put him in situations that it's like, you know, you're not used to seeing in uh, in any sort of Sherlock type of thing when he does that one scene where he's hitting the one dude, but then he's shooting the other dude in the head uh, when he's jumping out of the car and how your artists use the lights of the cars to really give him that silhouette. Yeah, like, that was that's all lights. Roger. Roger <laughs> like, was so uh, excited about the about yeah. the midnight in London thing and how the car, because I had just written that they found the truck and the truck was crashed and he's not there, but there are dead guys there. And, this, and that's how Sheffield knows, oh, they didn't kill him. He killed these guys. <laughs> that somewhere. Shot is All we got to do is hold him off till he shows up because he's around here somewhere. And then he has his Batman moment where he gets to yeah. land on the car and that whole thing. Like that, uh, that was that, those guys. Like they, they super wanted to make Brick do this crazy stuff. And I was like, all right, let's do it. Like that's <laughs> I like what you also did with the book too, which gives it that that feel, which I, I, I'm assuming we're gonna see in the three issues three and four is the, the top secret briefs that you also at the end. What was the whole idea with that um to add to that flavor to the comic? Um, well, it was a little bit of kind of an overall marketing idea. Um, one of the cool things that we'd came up with, uh, there's a, a writer that you guys probably know named Ian Mondrick put out a book called Tomb of the Red Horse. And he and I were having conversations about how if Kickstarter rewards come in really cool packaging, it's that much more fun, right? Um, if you get a Kickstarter package in the mail and it looks all beat to shit, you're like, uh-oh, my book's in trouble. If you get a Kickstarter book in the mail and it's got this big branded logo on the front of it, you're like, yay, my thing is here. And so we wanted to put a little bit of that in it and we got to talking about it. And I thought, well, what if the packaging was part of the story? 
what if it came in a secret file that was like stamped top secret on the outside of it and had the little case number on the front of it, the way you see in, in detective movies and whatever. And um, I was watching an episode of the crown with my wife and they like undercover the secret British government file. And it came in one of those like string and button envelopes where you twist <laughs> the thing off. I was like, what if we made those and shipped the books in those? How cool would that be in the joint thing? And speaking of GI Joe, which we were doing before we made these, like these prints that were, surveillance photos like you would see a detective looking at and it had the information on the back of it and on the back of it is like those old gi joe cards that you would yeah. read about how like roadblock came up driving cars with his dad or whatever and where duke comes from and all that stuff um we did those for sheffield and imogen and brick and mm -hmm. some of the other characters in this in the thing as as kickstarter admins and when it came to filling out the end of the book we know there are secrets that are coming comic books have to come out in pages of four and had to put two pages worth of people's names in the back for kickstarting the book. So we had to come up with two pages full of stuff to fill up. And I could talk about how much I love Sherlock Holmes all day long, but that's less interesting. What if we took some of those secret document kind of things and sort of layered in detail that kind of hints at things that are coming and dropped it into the book. So there's this whole page that's a, a, a top secret memo from some strange person to Mycroft about how they created the new Holmes and Watson to begin with on purpose. And that there's a reason that they didn't just randomly put these two spies together and she happens to be called Watson. They're trading on the Holmes and Watson reputation intentionally. And the hints at why they're doing that are in some of those pages. So it's not just random back matter that gets tossed in there. It's story material. And it's things that will point you in the direction that we're going. And, and it was physically consistent. It looked like all the marketing and all different stuff. But it was also a chance for me to write some fun content and, and, and stick it in the back of the book that nobody had to draw, which is cool. Nice. nice. Yeah. That's super creative. I, I love that. It, it, it even led me to writing actual prose mystery stories <laughs> with Sheffield Holmes. We did a whole, I don't know if I sent you guys a short story, did a whole uh, Sheffield Holmes mystery short story that, we, that became a Kickstarter award as well. And we decided that like the Kickstarter editions of the books have that stuff in them. But once they're gone, they're gone. And when we reprint books, it's not going to have any of that back matter. We're taking all that stuff out. Um, and then when we get done, we're going to collect it all together, and we're going to throw the short stories, and we're going to create a little bit more of it. And there's going to be a trade paperback version of the book, hopefully, that'll have all of that cool, funky back matter. So when we go, uh, if you missed the Kickstarter and you didn't get the cool editions, maybe down the line one day you'll be able to get all that stuff. Or maybe not, so you should back the Kickstarter. So you did mention <laughs> um, some early rewards. So when the Kickstarter launches, um, what are some of the cool early bird specials that all people can actually um, get for the Kickstarter? There's an early bird tier that's got a bunch of cool swag in it that's real similar to the last swag. Like we said, uh, last time people who were, were super into the junk uh, got the, the cool file folder with all the cool things in it. There's going to be three or four new ones that you can add to your file folder to sort of complete the whole case file. We didn't think we wanted to do whole new folders again because that feels like you're just buying the same thing you bought before and that's a little boring. Um, there's some fun sort of realistic style World War I things. We found some guys that are going to do like the officer's notebook like an officer would carry in his front pocket in his field to, nice. to write notes and whatever and stamped with the sixth special, the sixth special investigative service logo on the front of it, um, which is the group that they're all a part of. Um, we're going to do enamel pins of the insignia like they would wear on their uniform. And then by the end of the book, the patches that we did for the last one and the insignia pins become part of the character's costumes or uniforms, or whatever in the thing. So it's not just a cool piece of swag. 
it's a piece of swag that literally exists in the book as well as in real life. So you'll have one just like he has one, which we thought was fun. Um, there are going to be limited numbers of discounted tiers for that. There's also going to be a limited number, I think 15 um, books on the first day that are, or packages on the first day or discounted tiers. For people who just found this on Kickstarter or maybe just learned about Major Homes and Watson from watching Neil's podcast, or whatever, who didn't get issue one and two, who want the whole whack. If you want to essentially get yourself the entire arc from start to finish all the way through, that'll be available on day one as well. And so you can dive in there and get it for a little cheaper than you'll be able to get it down below. Link, link is there, guys. Uh, while you listen, click on the link and invest in the bio right now. Yes. <laughs> this story right now, issues one, two, three, four is one arc. How many, how many arcs do you have planned for, for Sheffield? Uh, how far um, in advance have you, you know, do you want to take this? We, so without getting super spoilery, the first arc takes place in the days before the beginning of the First World War. The entire premise was always to take them as a group working to support England and solve mysteries of this specific cabal of evildoers who are out to get the Holmes family throughout the entirety of World War I. So what we're going to see is that there is a series of historical events that have a secret mystery behind them that was never previously revealed. That's kind of the overall premise. Right now, there are two very specific outlines, one involving a group of um, Italian mountaineering special forces guys, which is really <laughs> cool, that I totally learned about from my wife's family in Italy, um, which is a real thing. I didn't just make it up. Um, there's an arc featuring Matahari, one of the most famous spies of the period, um, and, and blending her into that whole thing and how she fits into this world that we want to do. There are possibly two others that would be all World War I stories, probably five total. And the, the general premise, without getting too spoilery, we talk, it, issue one and issue two have been out for a long time. You can actually go ahead and go and get those if you want to don't, if you don't want to wait till the end of the Kickstarter right now. They're available on my website. They're available on Comics The premise is that Holmes and Watson have discovered a secret society within the secret societies and power structures of Europe that are manipulating all of this from behind the scenes. And just like Sherlock is, or Sheffield, I'm sorry, is a devotee of his uncle Sherlock and has sort of carried the torch to the next generation. These guys are the next generation of Holmes's greatest enemy, Professor Moriarty. They are part of a, a cabal known as the Moriarty. And they each have very specific code names because their identities are secret even to a degree from each other our group's going to find out who they are and the things that they're doing to push world war one in the various directions that it went they're the they're the hand behind the hand they're they're the evil inside the illuminati they are the baddest of the bad and they're all hiding in secret and we got to flush them out one by one uh until we come to some sort of final head against all of them right now it looks like five total including the first one um Nice. But we're, we're trying to set them up so that they're all also fun and individually readable. In the same way that the original Sherlock Holmes canon, you can read A Study in Scarlet or The Hound of the Baskervilles or any of the other ones that you want. You could just pick it up and go. In theory, you could do that here. There's a certain degree to which we hope you're going to read them and go, well, wait, how did we get there? And who are these other guys? And I want to know those. <laughs> but you're not going to be so lost that you don't know what's going on. A good detective story is a good detective story. And so we want to create them like that. Um, if we get chances to keep going, maybe we will. I had a really dorky, vague idea of like an old ass Sheffield who managed to survive to World War II and shoot some Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> Nazis are always awesome. I don't know that we'll get all the way that far. I don't know if we're going to get into their grandkids and great grandkids or what. Like that seems like a lot. Um, I also don't want to plan this thing that's just never going to get finished. Like I'd like, I know the ending as well. I know the ending of whatever the last arc is. I know where this is going. Even Ishmael and Roger don't totally know that yet um, because I'm certain once they have input, it'll tweak and change because. <laughs> Why make this by myself? That's the whole point. Right? 
Um, but more than likely four, possibly five. Okay. Adventures. Nice. And uh, one quick question about the Moriarty. Are they involved with the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand? Well, you have to read the comics, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think anyone who understands history knows that uh, Ferdinand was the domino that tipped uh, a lot of other dominoes and caused the beginning of the First World War. It, that story is actually one of the things that inspired me to write this to begin with, because reading a little bit about that assassination, it's largely considered to be one of the most ridiculously nearly botched assassinations. Oh, ever. I know. They kind of got lucky. They had yeah. this big plan and then up. they all blew him up and then it didn't happen. And then he like took a wrong turn and ended up in front of a deli where one of the guys was getting a sandwich and went, yeah, well, let's try this. That seems insane. What if there's a secret behind that, that made it end up that way? That's your first arc of Major Holmes. That's probably more spoilery than I wanted to get to, but that's what that was really a, a big part of the original idea. I, I, I want to do Sherlock's nephew. What's he going to do? Well, hmm, he'd be the right age to, and the and literal dominoes started falling into place. <laughs> Cloud Wrangler Comics. Cloud Wrangler Comics. Cloud Wrangler Store. dot com also works, or you can go to Major Holmes and Captain Watson. dot com, or just straight up M A J H O L M E M M E S Major Holmes. dot com. So, guys, go to the Kickstarter. It is in the description below. Jeff, give us a whole backstory synopsis of what we can expect from issue three for those who are listening. Issue three opens with Brick's secret and the, the identity of what's going, on, what's going on with Brick's identity and what he's protecting. Then we get into yet another gunfight in the streets of, of London, which is always awesome. Um, then a discussion in the secret lair under the Diogenes Club of uh, the clues found at Sherlock Holmes's house. We said Sherlock wasn't a character in our story, and that's true, but that doesn't mean that you don't get to see him for a minute or two, um, especially if you've seen the last page of issue two. Um, so as they're going through his effects, as it were, they discover some codes and some clues. Sherlock knew more about the Moriarty than he let on, and he may have said all this rolling from the background. He has hidden clues that he knows his nephew and his nephew's partner are smart enough to find that other people won't. And when they discover that, that pushes them into action in a very specific, really cool uh, historical uh, place in London that these guys got to draw that they were really excited about. There's this whole, we talked about before, this rooftop sniper battle that's a, a, in a, a place called the Hempstead Observatory in London. So it's this huge glass dome on the top of this building. And, and there's going to be some crazy stuff that happens on those rooftops. And then that action will lead us into issue four, which is a jumbo-sized, 36 page almost double issue. Oh, you got nice. the marking. Yeah, nice. we got to we got to get the like the ending has to hit and it's it's big. Big 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 things are happening. And some of the things are happening again, we're talking about history. Some of the things are happening you know. The things you don't know have to be a big deal. And so we wanted that last issue to really be like a great big old blockbuster. It's it's like the Deathly Hallows had to be two whole movies. That's that's kind of <laughs> what we're doing. We're like this is the big volume we're just going to get it done. The first arc is fun and it's a great mystery story, but it's just the beginning. Guys, make sure you guys hit that link. Let's get this done. Let's get it fully funded. Let's get these issues out. This has been another awesome episode of Nerds It Around. Your host, Sebastian. It's a boy of law. Anybody tone from across the hall. <laughs> <laughs>